Welcome to the eighth episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. I'm your host, James Herrick, and today we're going to be doing a breakdown of Felder versus RDA. First, I'm going to start with all the things that Paul Felder went through this week, just to give him the respect that he deserves for all that he has done this week. I'm sure a lot of you are aware of that, but I'm just going to go over it again. And then I'm going to move on to the fight, my opinion on the fight. And then we're going to talk, we're going to spend most of this episode talking about the lightweight division. The lightweight division is in a very interesting spot right now, especially after this performance by RDA. He calls out Connor. Um, Connor and Dustin is signed. And then we're working on, the UFC is working on Tony versus Michael Chandler. And then we have more information about Khabib being retired. I shouldn't say more information. We have more clues about Khabib's retirement. And um, we're going to talk about all those things, how those things relate, who should be matched up with who in the lightweight division. And that is going to be, um, that's going to take up a large portion of today's episode. All right, so first, Paul Felder coming into this. He takes this fight on five days notice, and he has to make weight on four days notice, right? So he's on the treadmill. He gets a he gets a call. He accepts the fight. He gets off the treadmill, checks his weight, and he's 178. Now he has to make 156 for this fight. And on top of that, that was after an hour and a half run. So he was probably a, around 180 to 184, maybe 183 when he accepted the call. So Paul Felder in this fight cut around 22, 24, 26 pounds in four days for this fight. And a lot of guys come in and they say that they cut that much weight. Um, that's what you see a lot of guys wait at four or five days out from the fight. But they've been doing water loading. This um this 22 pounds 20 to 22 to 26 is the estimate here. Um but with that being said, Paul was not water loading and he was this high. So this was pretty incredible that Paul was able to make this weight. So he makes weight and then um after this, he does an interview about his father and I don't know if you saw this, um, but Paul did an interview about his father's passing of can from cancer earlier this year, and he talked about how he did not have time to mourn his father because of all the things that have been going on in his life, and he talked about how he rekindled some of his love for the sport in this interview as well. So if you did not, I believe that was with BT Sport. Um, if not, you can find it on the BT Sport Twitter account. I believe that's where I saw it. Um, I don't think it's that hard of an interview to find. I recommend you go watching that because that was a beautiful interview by Paul Felder. And then um, we're going to skip over the fight. We're going to come back to that. Obviously, we're going to talk about the fight. But after the fight, he gets on the mic and he calls out fighters. In, in general, he calls out fighters. He calls out fighters for not being ready to make weight, not having their things together to take short notice fights. And um, for Paul to do this, he's in a situation where he can do this because he just took a fight on five days notice against Rafael Dos Anjos. So um, for Paul to do this is understandable and I completely get where he's coming from. And he made some great points in this um, little interview he did after 
the fight. And um, this just really goes to show um, how many fighters let opportunities pass them. So um, a lot of fighters now are letting opportunities pass because they're not ready to fight on short notice for whatever reason. This is a thing you'll see Chael Sonnen talk a lot about. Um, be ready when the phone call when the phone rings and it's the UFC. If it's Dana, you say yes, and that's how you get a lot of opportunities in this sport, right? So for Paul to speak on this, I think uh, the way he did it, I feel like a lot of people would take that as a little condescending. It came off a little condescending, but he's in a situation where he can come off like that. But if a lot of fighters look at that and you know think about what he's saying. The things he's saying make complete sense. Be ready. Say yes when the phone rings. Have your stuff together so you can take some of these short notice fights and get yourself opportunities opportunities that you would have not gotten. You know, if Paul would not have accepted this fight, he would not have faced someone of RDA's caliber um, that would propel him that far in the UFC lightweight rankings. He would have faced someone a little bit lower in the rankings who would have had a little bit less push. Um, from the company so he gave himself an opportunity by accepting this fight and I think it says a lot um, for Paul and how a lot of other fighters should maneuver their career so moving on to the fight itself both RDA and Paul Felder looked great in this fight they both looked amazing coming off the training camp that RDA had I was worried about RDA I was worried for two reasons he did have COVID I didn't know how that would affect him considering it can affect your lungs after the fight he said it didn't affect his lungs so that's great but he had COVID and he had a late opponent switch which for RDA to still accept this fight is also impressive let's give RDA some credit so for RDA this was a great performance. Like I said, Paul Felder performed great as well. So from this, Paul looked on the feet. He looked, both guys actually, both guys looked very fast on their feet. Both fast hands. RDA and Paul Felder both looked as good of strikers as I've seen them. Right. I think Paul had the edge a little bit on the feet, especially in the later rounds. In the earlier rounds, it was more closer to 50-50, but as the fight progressed deeper, Paul gained an advantage on the feet. Paul's 1-2 is incredible. He has a great 1-2. RDA's left kick is also incredible. You know, so both of these guys showed that they have the stand-up capabilities to possibly compete with a lot of these great strikers at the top of the lightweight division. And then RDA proved he still has that wrestling. Paul Felder did show good takedown defense in this fight. The issue was he would deny the takedown and would get caught up against the fence, leaving for more takedown opportunities and leading to clinch control time for RDA. That was the big thing that RDA did that that led to him winning this fight, you know. So Paul was able to deny the initial takedown. But then RDA works up back to the feet into a dominant position against the fence where both guys landed strikes in the clinch. Both guys did fairly well in the clinch, I'd say. And RDA had a lot of control in that and ended up 
that was kind of the difference maker was the control time. It was more than kind of, it was the difference maker was the control time, both on the ground and, um, up against the cage. RDA didn't do a lot of damage on the ground, but from his control time, he definitely deserved that victory. I think I scored it 49, 46. I gave the fourth round to Paul on verdict MMA, which if you don't know what verdict MMA is, I suggest you go check that out. It's basically a universal scoring system where all the fans provide, provide input to scoring fights, get you pretty close to who should win a fight. Um, anyways, on verdict MMA, I think the scorecards were very close. Most scorecards gave at all four four rounds to RDA. Some gave one to Felder like I did. I think the score for that round on verdict MMA was like uh, 9.54 to like a 9.47 or something like that. So uh, very close round four. I think you can score round four either way and you uh, you got it right. But the judge who scored at 48-47 for Felder, obviously that's he should never ref an MMA. Well, we let's not say that. He shouldn't. Um, he shouldn't judge an MMA fight in a while. He needs to watch the sport a little bit more before he decides uh, what he's. Before he begins to judge again, right? So then that leads us to yeah. Uh, before we go into our next thing, one last thing. RDA, Paul Felder, both looked amazing, and all this does is show the depth of the lightweight division. I mean, if you look at the rankings, Paul Felder was ranked 7th, and he looked like that. RDA wasn't ranked because he's coming down from 170, obviously. So, um, for RDA, he's going to be in that top 7 now. For So, Paul Felder, they're probably going to be 7 and 8. I imagine tomorrow when the rankings come out, I don't think Paul Felder will fall too far. Probably just drop down to 8 and let RDA slide in at 7. Um, maybe RDA goes to six and hops Charles Oliveira. Either way, I don't think it makes that big of a difference. But to have someone like Paul Felder's caliber at the seven or eight slot in a division is incredible. Um, that just shows the depth of this lightweight division. I put out a tweet. Go check that out. Just the list of guys in this lightweight division. And with that being said, Paul Felder's likely going to be at eight in this division, but that's with Michael Chandler being unranked at the moment because he hasn't fought in the division yet. So when Michael Chandler fights, uh, the likelihood is that Paul Felder will drop down to like the nine slot. So having someone of Paul Felder's caliber at nine just shows the depth of this division. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and just read off names, but you've got Islam at 12, Kevin Lee at 10 at the moment. These guys are going to all move down when you get RDA and Michael Chandler in these rankings. You've got Gregor Gillespie at 13, Donald Cerrone at 15, and Donald is coming back down to lightweight. He did put out, a, I believe, an Instagram post and said he was going to come back down to lightweight. You've still got Drew Dober, Benil Dariush, Ali Quinna. So this lightweight division is possibly the best division. It certainly is the best division right now in the UFC. It may be the best division in the history of combat sports, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you could easily make that case. When you have someone of Conor McGregor's caliber at four, Tony Ferguson at three, Poirier at two, Gaethje at one, and obviously Khabib at the top, this division is absolutely stacked. Okay, So after this fight, RDA calls out Conor McGregor. 
Now, this is an interesting call out. Usually, you see guys call out someone with a fight. And a lot of times, you look at that and you're like, that doesn't make much sense. In a lot of situations, unless it's maybe, um, unless you want to fight for the belt after a certain person wins. But a lot of times, if you're calling out a fighter who's booked, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I was thinking, and that was my initial thought, but I thought about this call out by RDA a little bit more. And I think that it is um, a feasible call out because for this reason, you have Connor versus Dustin are signed to fight January 23rd of 2021. Right now we're in mid-November. I don't know when Our RDA said he would be ready to take that fight if someone can't fight that day. So for RDA, he could be the backup for that fight. Or what you could do is you could match him up with someone. Uh, the biggest matchup that I want to see right now for him is Dan Hooker. I think Dan Hooker is the, I think the top four, top four, you got to get them matched up. And then after that, you've got Dan Hooker on the outside looking in of that top part of the division. So for Dan Hooker, I think a fight against RDA makes sense. And I want to see that fight booked. I saw a Twitter poll and Dan Hooker was the majority. I think he had around 40% of the votes for who RDA should fight next. I don't remember whose account that was on, but I think a lot of people are with me on that uh, Dan Hooker versus RDA matchup. So I think that would play out very similar to this Paul Felder matchup. But with that being said, you could put that on that January 23rd card as well. So what this would do is you would put RDA and Connor on the same timeline, right? So they both get done the 23rd. Assuming they both get out healthy with a win, you could then match them up. Now, for I know a lot of people are going to be confused as to why I think matching them up if they both win. And here's why I think that would make sense. So we have Connor versus Dustin, and we have Dan Hooker versus RDA. Now, assuming that RDA and Connor both win, and uh, if assuming Connor wins on January 23rd, and RDA versus Hooker doesn't happen, have to happen January 23rd, but I think that's a good idea because you can bump RDA up um, if, if something happens with Poirier, or you could put just in general put the RDA fight. Maybe maybe it's the week after, maybe it's two weeks after, but just get it on this same timeline as Connor. So what this does is this obviously puts them on the same schedule so they could then fight afterwards, assuming they both win. Now, why does this fight make sense? Because if Connor wins, a lot of people are going to want to see him fight probably for the championship, assuming he beats Poirier, maybe Gaethje, maybe a move up. But RDA makes sense in a way, because if you look at this lightweight division, Assuming this is all assuming Habib has not retired, which I'm going, I think Habib is going to fight again. Um, I'll, I'll talk more on that in depth in a minute here. So assuming that Habib is not retired, fighting RDA would make sense for Connor because RDA is probably him and Michael Chandler are going to be the next best wrestlers in this lightweight division, especially in this top portion. 
So by fighting RDA, RDA, you could Connor could make the case that he does deserve to fight Habib again. Now, from what we saw for RDA, his game plan was get Paul against the fence and shoot and get the fight to the ground or control it in the clinch. Now, this is something that Habib has done throughout his career. Obviously, Habib in his last fight landed more strikes, um, more submission offense, and he's obviously all around a lot better on the ground than RDA. Habib is probably the best grappler, grappler in the UFC right now. But RDA is no chump when it comes to grappling. So if Connor can go out there with someone's of RDA's grappling caliber and prove that he can deal with RDA in grappling and put him out on the feet, I think you would get a lot more people interested in that Habib rematch, assuming that Connor proves he can defend against an elite wrestler. That's always the biggest question when you're fighting against Habib. Now, I think that I think this is something that Dana would pursue for that fact that I just said. Um, you're going to get an increase. There's already an increase in a lot of people want to see Habib versus Connor. It's going to sell a lot of pay-per-views based off the casual audience. The hardcore audience is the fan base that you're going to have a hard time convincing that this fight makes sense. A lot of people are going to want to see Habib versus Tony. If Tony wins against Michael Chandler, we'll talk more about that fight too. That fight is looking like it's going to happen. No official announcements, No, nothing signed right now. But if you can prove to people that Connor has what it takes to defend him, defend wrestling against someone of RDA's caliber, you're going to get more people on board for this Habib versus Connor fight. And in the end, that's what Dana wants. And it's he has not come out and said that, but it's pretty obvious if you are Dana, it does make sense that you would want to see that fight. Um, is gonna, it is the highest selling pay-per-view of all time as of right now. And obviously you want to run that one back. So for Connor, I think that's why that fight makes sense is solely to prove that he has the ability to possibly put up a fight against Habib. That's why that fight makes sense in my opinion. And I think a lot of people will agree with me on that. So, with that being said, if Habib is not retired, throw the whole idea in the trash can. If Habib is, or excuse me, if Habib is retired, throw the whole idea in the trash can. The reasoning to make the RDA versus Connor fight falls apart. So, if that is the case, there is no reason to make that fight and it shouldn't happen. If Connor wins versus Dustin, you can put him against Gaethje for the title put him against tony for the title i think in the coming months we'll know truly whether habib is retired if i had to guess at this point i don't believe he's going to retire i think he's going to fight again my two biggest reasons for this is obviously that 30 and 0 number means a lot that 30 and 0 number was what his father wanted to see him reach and Khabib, Habib didn't retire because of his own personal reason. Well, I guess they are his personal reasons in a way. He retired because he promised his mother that he would retire. He didn't retire because he lost passion for the sport. He didn't retire because he, you know, is getting injured or whatever reasons that fighters have, or he's not, or his chin's gone, or many of these reasons that we see fighters retire. 
He retired because his mother wanted him to, and his mother wanted this to be his last fight. Now, with that being said, if his mother said, if if his mother gave him the okay to go and fight again, I think that Habib would take that opportunity. Now, as of right now, that GSP fight is looking less and less likely. The longer we wait, the longer or the longer we wait, the less likely it is to happen. And that's just with GSP's age. GSP, after Habib retired, said that that fight would not have happened at 155. Uh, GSP pretty much said he would not be able to make that weight, and the chances of that happening were very unlikely. It would have had to have been at 170 or catch weight. And I think that really, that factor alone is going to push both Habib and the UFC away from making this fight, I believe. Because I think a lot of people would have liked to see George try and become a three-division champion. If he could have his reign at 170, obviously, go up, take out Bisbing at 185, then come down and take out Habib at 155, I think that would be a tremendous feat. So taking that away, I think that's going to remove a lot of interest. But I still think people will want to see this based solely off a skill matchup. But if you move this fight to 170, then if you move this fight to 170, there's no belt on the line. There's a lot of things that make uh, that fight less desirable if it's not at 155. And I don't think it happens if it doesn't happen at 155. And uh, GSP sounds like he can't make 155. So I think that fight is past. Okay. Moving on from that, that leaves Habib's next fight to be against either Tony or Connor, realistically. I don't think he's going to rematch Gaethje. I don't think Habib wants to do rematches, which is, I know I just said Connor, but let me explain. I don't think he does the rematch against Gaethje or Poirier. I think you could sell him on the idea of Connor, though, based solely off of Connor's draw, especially if Connor goes out there and beats Poirier. Habib is on record as to saying that he thinks Poirier is the number one contender, and if you beat Poirier, then you should fight for the title. If Connor can do that, then Habib's own words would be going against him here. However, if Tony Ferguson goes out and beats Michael Chandler, you're going to have a discussion of what should that be Habib's last fight. Is it going to be Tony? And I think that's what a lot of people want to see as well. That um, that doesn't cross over as well to the casual fan base. Likely does less in terms of pay-per-view buys. Realistically, in an ideal situation, Tony beats Chandler, Connor beats Poirier, and they both get a crack at Habib. That's the ideal. That's the ideal situation in my mind. I think if one of these fights are going to get away assuming that Habib fights one more time and I think these are fights we need to see again or again for Connor and the first time for Tony these are fights that we need to see happen and I think in the long long term of MMA history I think not having either of these fights would be very damaging I think that's why the UFC is going to push Habib for at least one of them and possibly even one more afterwards but that one afterwards is Sure is looking unlikely. Now, going back to this RDA business, I think another reason that makes sense, RDA versus Connor. this is just a touch point that I forgot to say earlier. 
I don't if Habib re- returns. I don't think it's is going to be later. So I think that leaves plenty of time for a matchup between uh for another matchup for Connor after his fight against Poirier. So that is just something that I wanted to throw in there. And the other major matchup is Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler. So in this fight, this fight is being looked at for the December pay-per-view. Tony put out a tweet pretty much saying that he wants this fight to happen on the December pay-per-view. Now, the issue with what Tony said is he said he wants it to be a main event. This is going to be an issue. No matter which way you slice it up, it's going to be an issue. And we have Eljo and Jan on that card as of right now. They, I don't think they're scheduled to be the main event because... I don't think they're scheduled to be the main event because you... Um, I don't know if they're looking for another fight. They could easily bump it to the main event. Don't get it twisted. But the main event was supposed to be Nunes versus... Spencer or um Megan Anderson excuse me so the UFC is in a spot here where Tony and Michael Chandler both are probably would accept that fight right but Tony wants it as a main event that's not going to be a main event over a title shot if the UFC does make it a main event over a title shot it would provide precedent that the UFC has never done before that would be a first and I don't think the UFC does that in any situation simple as that they because they didn't do it for connor that's why i'm saying that connor wanted to fight on this november pay-per-view next week or the december pay-per-view both had title shot main events and you cannot you cannot bump a title shot from the main event simple as that that's why connor got the pay-per-view in january because they wouldn't bump a title shot down or remove a title shot. So if they don't do it for Connor, I don't think they'll do it for Tony. Simple as that. And with that being said, if I were Tony, I wouldn't want to accept a three-round fight. Tony's obviously known for his cardio. And if you're in Tony's shoes, do you accept a three-round fight? I don't. If I'm any fighter of that caliber and with that level of cardio, um, similar to Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz, if I were Nate Diaz, I'd never accept another three-round fight. Tony Ferguson, I'd never accept another three-round fight. Habib, if I were Habib, never, well, Habib has a title, obviously, but you'd never accept a three-round fight because they're, Colby Covington, another guy, I'd never accept a three-round fight because you're putting yourself at a disadvantage because you know in rounds four and five, you will more, more likely be the fresher guy and can really turn it on in the fourth and fifth round. So... I think that alone is going to stop this from happening December 12th. I believe it's the 12th, definitely December, from the December pay-per-view. Based off, Tony shouldn't fight in a three-round fight. With that being said, I don't know what the UFC is looking at right now for next year. Because this year, obviously, they're trying to push a lot of events. We're getting a lot of events week after week. Based off when we had the break because of COVID, the UFC needs to put on a certain amount of fights a year. So now we're really, at the end of the year, we're trying to fill the fights, uh, the required amount of cards to put out. Next year, obviously that number resets. They still need to put on fight cards, but they have more opportunity for break. And we don't know what the UFC's plans are going to be with that. So 
when is the next time that the next announced card, I believe, is that January 23rd pay-per-view. And once again, Tony's not going to be a three-round fight on that card, especially underneath Connor. So then you're looking at, do you, you don't make it the February pay-per-view because you already have too many big fights that have yet to be scheduled. Especially... Um, the you've got the Izzy Izzy Yan fight to make in March. You've got Miocic and you've got Stipe and Nganu. You've got the it's looking like they're gonna do a Wei Li Zhang versus either Ro, probably Rose as of right now. Maybe they do the Yuana rematch. Probably gonna be be against Rose. We're looking to get all the Kamaru and. Kamaro and Gilbert Burns, excuse me. We're looking to get all these fights booked. We're looking at what's next for Volkanovski, which is probably going to be Ortega. So there's so many fights that we need to book as of right now that I don't see this fight taking up a pay-per-view slot. So we're really in an interesting situation of when are we going to get this fight in. I don't think it's going to be in December. Early January, I believe, is a possibility for a fight night card so they can be the main event. So... That's my that's my breakdown of the lightweight division as of right now. Um, of that fight, that Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson fight, that's an incredibly interesting fight based off, I'm excited to see Michael Chandler in the UFC. He's extremely talented in Bellator. I think he's got a lot of tools to be at the top of this lightweight division. I'm interested to see him against higher competition. I know he faced some competition in Bellator. He fought Pitbull twice, I believe. He fought Benson Henderson twice. So he fought some guys, but in reality, a lot of his fights, obviously, of lesser caliber opponents. I want to see how, what he, I want to see him when he gets adjusted to some of this UFC talent that the UFC currently has in the lightweight division. I think that will be incredibly interesting. So I'm excited to see that. And if either of those guys win, they have a shot at the title. This lightweight division is wide open as of right now in terms of getting yourself a title shot. So that is that. And the one other fight that I wanted to talk of off from Saturday's fight card last night is the Chaos Williams knockout. Chaos, there really wasn't a lot that happened. Well, let's not say that. This fight was, it wasn't like we had a 30-second brawl here. Chaos Williams landed one right hand and put him down, pretty much. There were a couple leg kicks and thrown in there. But pretty much, he faints, faints, hits a 1-2, puts out, um, puts his lights out. Chaos gets the win. Now, that obviously is incredible, but I was more impressed with his after-the-fight performances. So, Chaos Williams then gets on the mic and says... People keep sleeping on me. The doctor's going to have to wake them up. Come on. Bars. Bars. As Chael Sonnen would say, that was a great line by me. So that was a great line by Chaos Williams. And I think he has high potential. High, high fan potential. Based off his abilities on the mic. Then he calls out and says he wants to be in the EA Sports game. In the UFC 4. I was waiting for a fighter to do this. Because I saw it as low hanging fruit. I thought Bryce Mitchell was going to do it. After he won. 
because Bryce Mitchell's very good on the mic and calls what he wants and did complain when he wasn't in he Bryce Mitchell did complain that he wasn't in the game when it came out. So I'm surprised Bryce Mitchell didn't make this call call out uh, UFC four, but Chaos Williams did it, and so he was the first one to do it. Credit to him. So Chaos Williams. And then on the mic, he performed great, obviously that line. And then he went to the post-fight press conference in a nice suit and a pair of buffs. Come on, man. This dude's got fan favorite written all over him. I think he's got high potential as well. He's got two 30-second knockouts in the UFC, I believe. 30 seconds and 27 seconds are his two knockouts in the UFC. So Chaos Williams in this welterweight division is going to make a run I'm excited to see what exactly they are going to do with him because I don't know if they're going to put him against a top 15 guy yet um what I see here is they're probably going to do a similar thing they did with Hazmat Chimaev in terms of a Gerald Mershart type opponent um getting an opponent that's an established name but not ranked a lot of people knew who Gerald Mershart was, so it provided some credibility to Hazmat when he won that fight. I think they're going to do a similar thing here with Chaos Williams, providing him someone who is respected and just outside that top 15 range, top 20, top 25, top 30 type guy, similar to Gerald Mershart. And then eventually a fight I would like to see with him is a Rob, is that Robbie Lawler fight. There's uh, Robbie Lawler was going to fight Mike Perry. Obviously, that fight fell through, so we're looking for something for, for Robbie Lawler. Uh, that's a fun fight that sticks out to me. But obviously, um, we don't know. That's 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 not that serious of a of a fight matchup that I just said. But I do. It is one that I think would be fun to see. Someone like uh, Robbie Lawler, Anthony Pettis, Mike Perry. These are all fun fights for Chaos Williams. Um, especially on the mic, I'd love to hear Chaos Williams and Mike Perry going after each other. So that's something there. Mike Perry's obviously fighting Tim Means. Tim Means would have been another good name, someone who's established, has a little bit of credibility in the sport, but it's outside that top 15. Mike Perry, like I said, I think there's a lot of fun matchups here for him at welterweight. Uh, we'll just have to see which direction the UFC goes. And I do believe Chaos Williams has a bright future. And if I had to guess, I would not predict that this is the last time I'm talking about him on the podcast. He will be back and probably back to soon. When you get a win in 30 seconds, you can, you're good to fight whenever. So I'm excited for Cass Williams. Another, it seems like every time that we turn our heads, another bright star in the UFC emerges. Cass Williams, I don't want to say came out of nowhere because he did have a 30 second knockout earlier in the year, but largely came out of nowhere with high star potential. Hazmat Chimaev comes out of nowhere with high star potential. A lot of these guys like this. Um, Hakeem Dawadu came, don't want to say out of nowhere again because he's on people's radars, but he he uh, impressed in his last performance. A lot of guys like this that are highly talented, highly good on the mic, are good characters that have a lot of potential here. I think the UFC is in a good spot in terms of new new younger talent that is exciting and fun to watch. And another thing I want to praise the UFC for is signing talent. The UFC has done a great job these last couple 
the last couple months signing talent. Um, I've seen Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler is the most notable signee that they've had recently coming from Bellator. But they also signed Manel Cape, who's a uh, flyweight from, I believe he was a champion. I believe it was in Ryzen, I want to say. I will double check on that really quickly. But he's another great fighter. Yeah, he was the Ryzen champ. So he's another good addition. He is scheduled to fight December 19th against against Pantoja. So more additions to this flyweight division. They signed another guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head from Russia, from a very good Russian promotion. I tweeted about that so you can find his name. I don't remember what his exact name was, and I probably couldn't pronounce it if I tried. But he was another fighter that the UFC has signed recently who looks to have, uh, who is very skilled. So I love to see the UFC adding more weight, especially in this flyweight division. That's one of the beefs I've had with the UFC is how they've handled the flyweight division. Basically, we'll use this as a bridge to next week too. Um, the flyweight division, I want to see the flyweight division on on showcase a little bit more often. First, to do that, you have to sign more, more flyweights. The flyweights are not the smallest. They're the smallest male division by far. Uh, I don't think, I think they're a little bit bigger than some of the female divisions. I'm not 100% sure. You'd have to dig deep to find those exact numbers. I know women's felt, uh, featherweight, excuse me, is the smallest division. They don't even have a top 15 rankings. So, but the smallest male division by far is the 125 division. So I'm excited to see them add more talent because a lot of these guys that a lot of these fights that they've put on have been fun. That Brandon Royval fight versus Kai Kara France, that was on a pay-per-view card recently. That was a fun fight, and that's a good look into what you get at the 125 division. You've got Divison Figueredo, who is an exciting fighter to watch. You've got Brandon Moreno, Joseph Benavidez. You sign a guy like Manuel Cape, who is going to be fighting in this top 10 here. I think if we can add some more fighters to that 125 pound division and get some more 125 pound fights, on pay-per-views, on main cards, I think that that would go a long way into growing that 125 division, so it looks similar to that 135 division. The 135 division has been great for the UFC recently. Right now, it's in great shape with Jan, Sterling, Sandhagen, Marais. You've got Dillashaw coming back. So that division's in great shape, and I think we can get the flyweight division to that point where it doesn't, you don't have to have an amazing champion to still have that division. Something we're seeing with the 135 pound division. And like I said, I think that happens based off more fighters being signed and more slots on pay-per-views. I like what they're doing, putting Divison Figueredo on the top of the bill to grow his name. They've got him over Valentina and Jennifer Maya. It would have been completely logical for them to put Valentina and Jennifer Maya on the top as the main event, but they put Divison Figueredo versus Alex Perez there. I think that's a great opportunity for Figueredo to get his name out there. And they put the top 
or the feature prelim is Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Roy Vall, who is the winner of that fight. There's a good chance that they fight for the belt next, especially if Figueredo wins. So, I think this 125 division is looking to be in a spot to grow. So, with that being said, let's bridge that into next week's fight card, which is UFC 255. A lot of fun fights on this card. A little bit weak for a pay-per-view based off stars. There isn't an established star. I wouldn't consider I wouldn't consider Divas and Figueredo a star yet. I think he has star potential. Valentina Shevchenko, I don't consider her a star. Well, uh, she is a star in the female division, but I don't think that she gets as much pay-per-view buys as a lot of the other stars like Israel, Jorge, Connor, Stipe, John Jones. I don't think she gets as much draw as them. And this fight isn't a big draw for her considering she's facing Jennifer Maya, who she's a massive favorite over. And then you have Mike Perry versus Tim Means. Caitlin Chikagan, who's back in there soon. Uh, really quick turnaround for her. And then Shogun Hua versus Paul Craig. That's your main card. Um, my picks, as of right now, I think Davison Figueredo goes out there and finishes Alex Perez. I think he's gonna. I think it's going to be a similar fight to Joseph Benavidez. Figueredo looked great in both those fights. So incredibly skilled. He can finish the fight on the feet, on the ground, knock you out, choke you out. Davison Figueredo is incredibly talented, and I think he's one of the most underappreciated and under-respected fighters in terms of skill. But every time he fights, you get reminded why he is the champion. And I think he's going to do that again, and I think he's going to prove that he's a beast. And I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if he wins this fight, maybe gets another one, and potentially makes a run at the 135-pound belt to become double champ, um, especially with his weight. Deviesen figured it was incredibly talented, and I think he's got a bright future. I think he goes out there and gets a win on Saturday. Okay, next fight, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. I think this is going to be a one-sided bloodbath. Valentina wins this one, and uh, I don't think there's going to be much disagreement on that. Mike Perry versus Tim Means. I go with Mike Perry. Tim Means is obviously a very good fighter, but Mike Perry looked great in his last fight. He, against Mickey Gall, showed some great boxing, mixed in some good grappling. I think Mike Mike Perry is in a position to go out there and win this fight. With that being said, I'm not trying to count out Tim Means because Tim Means can easily go out there and catch a dub. But I am leaning towards Mike Perry. The women's flyweight belt of bout of Ch- Caitlin Chukagan versus Cynthia Calvillo. I am. This one is a 50-50 toss-up for me. I'm leaning Cynthia Calvillo simply because I think she's a little bit of a better grappler, probably a better grappler. Um, with that being said, Chukagan's obviously a great striker. Um, either way, I think this fight can go both ways and I don't want to count either of these women out, but I lean towards Calvillo and then Shogun Hua versus Paul Craig. I'm leaning again towards Paul Craig, but Shogun Hua did look great in his last fight, but I think the youth comes into play in this one. And I think Paul Craig goes out there and gets the win. A lot of fights on the prelims that I like. I'm not going to break down all of them, but I will look at some. Brandon Moreno 
versus Brandon Royval. Royval looked great in his last fight. Moreno went out there and got a win against Eskar Ask- Askarov in his last fight. Both of these guys are highly talented flyweights. I think this is going to be a close one and a fun one. I'm leaning to... Uh, this is another toss-up. I like Moreno a lot. I think I'm going to... I'm going with Moreno. But if Roy Vall goes out there and gets a win, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Joaquin Buckley versus Jordan Wright also on this card. This is... We obviously saw what Joaquin Buckley did in his last fight. And then we've got Jordan Wright, who is currently undefeated, coming in against Joaquin Buckley. I think this is going to be a good a good test for Buckley. I'm not sold on Buckley yet. I know he had a great knockout, and he is a skilled guy. But I think he um, is on a little bit of a high after that last fight. Um, I think he goes out there, and it's a close fight. But I'm leaning towards Jordan Wright. But once again, wouldn't be surprised if... Joaquin goes out there and does something crazy and gets a win. Daniel Rodriguez on this card. Very excited to see him back in the octagon. Dana White Contender Series alum. I think he goes out there and gets a win against Nicholas Dalby. Early prelims, nothing crazy. You've got, uh, yeah, nothing crazy. Nothing I really want to talk about there. But overall, that should be a fun fight card. little bit of an underwhelming main event for a pay-per-view. I would have liked to see them... I would have liked to see them get another big fight on this pay-per-view to pair with Sun and get a little bit more draw towards Sun Figueredo. That's just my opinion, but it didn't happen. That's okay. And um, I think overall it probably won't be the best-selling pay-per-view, but I think there is some good aspects, and I think some hardcore fans will buy it, and I think it will end up working out okay. And that is pretty much all I wanted to talk about for this week. Like I said, the main thing I wanted to talk about was it wasn't it was more of a rant about the lightweight division. Just I just wanted to lay out some possibilities of where I think this can go. I, I think the RDA Connor fight makes sense. Is Habib retired? Is he coming back? There were so many so many questions still regarding that. I just wanted to speak on that. Fun fight with RDA and Felder. And uh, so much respect to both Felder and RDA for making that fight happen. And if that fight didn't happen, the whole card would have fell apart. So thankful to both those guys, and I'm glad that happened. And uh, that is all I have for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode breaking down UFC 255. Thank you very much for watching, and I'm out.